I'm going to start with a question. Why does Hebrews chapter 11 exist? Why recount the hall of faith or the heroes of the faith? Seems like a pretty straightforward thing. But when I started examining it, I noticed that Hebrews chapter 11, what seems to be a self-contained segment, is actually part of a larger thought. More than that, it's actually a proof text, a very captivating proof text for a larger thought that is stated in bookends both right before and right after it. And in order to understand these bookends, that involves actually sitting with the text and meditating upon it. And to be clear, by meditating, I don't mean a caricature of it sitting there or simply waiting for the Spirit to reveal something to you, but rather an intentional consideration of language, vocabulary, clauses, syntax, and not simply to become pointlessly absorbed in an abyss of abstraction, but rather to understand the flow of thought and the connection of ideas into a larger concept or message. And so if we actually do that and sit with Hebrews 11 in a Psalm 27.4 kind of a way, what we realize is that, like I said, it's a list of examples mid-lesson, a grand and captivating support for a bigger or rather more important structure, the nature and purpose of faith itself. And so the conversation of faith flows out of an earlier part of the letter to the Hebrews on the nature of Christ's sacrifice and the propitiatory and reconciliatory nature of what he did between man and God. And it's not a new teaching, but rather a reminder and an exhortation. And so the main points that capture the purpose of Hebrews 11 seem to be verses chapter 10, 23 to 23, and chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. So, going to chapter 10, 22 through 23, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Key parts here, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. And then the other exhortation, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. Alright, so let's consider this language. Let us draw near with a true heart. Well, what's a heart? Cardia in Greek, like cardio. Well, for them who use this concept, the heart is the core of where you are. It signifies will, character. It is the fount or font, however you want to say it in good English, from which flow thoughts, passions, desires, appetites, and it serves as the source of our understanding. And so a true heart would be one that is sincere, genuine, the opposite of imperfect or frail. In other words, a true heart is one that is rightly oriented and functioning properly regarding things like our understanding, our passions, our desires, our appetites, and so forth. And what is it to draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith? Well, faith in what? Faith in that all which has been said and believed about Jesus, leading up to this point in the letter, and the forgiveness of sin, and the cleansing of the human heart, as we just described, and the ability to deal with God, are in fact all true. 
He says, hold fast to the confession of this very hope without wavering. Don't waver from the acknowledgement of hope which you have already made. Well, hope in what? Salvation. The full and perpetual restoration of life. And that in communion with God. See Romans 1.16. The corresponding bookend in chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, witnesses being like those who would testify to the nature of faith and its work, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So, laying aside every weight. This means to let go of, stop obsessing over Don't be consumed or myopically focused on every burden or circumstance or concern that comes up in the daily course of living life. Here's where I had to pause. I was recently talking with somebody who's going through some stuff. This person's circumstances are not great. Hard. Not something I can imagine dealing with at this person's age. Actually, not something I can imagine dealing with at any age. But yet this person has to go through it. These are the things that this person is actually bringing to God. These are the concerns that this person has. The logistics of family dynamics and sleeping arrangements and financial responsibility at a young age. and Not good Burdens at all. And in a situation like that, it's really easy to look at the speaker and say, easy for you to say. Well, it's actually easy for anybody to say. But this is where Christianity is kind of a rubber hits the road. Yes, these are exactly the kind of situations that we bring to God in faith. So, We lay these various things aside. We do not let them consume us, our attention, our thoughts, our emotions, our passions, whatever. And by doing this, we will grow out of sin, which is doing what we think is right on account of such circumstances and concerns. This happens in life, I respond this way because I interpret this way, I believe this way, therefore I speak this way, I function this way. This is sin, a will born out of a corrupted and perverted, not properly functioning, and untrue heart. And see what we said about heart a little bit earlier. But it also says to lay aside, not just every weight, but and sin which clings so closely. The concerns of life and how we deal with them cling closely because they are inescapable. And they must be dealt with. Sin, or this idea of our will be done, us, we human beings, exercising our will to believe, respond, think, act, whatever, as we see fit, this clings closely because it is the manifestation of our own personal mode of operation. Like I said, how we perceive, deal, determine, and therefore act. 
And the race which we are to run must be run with endurance. Well, rather, let me say this. The race which we are to run is to live life righteously within whatever context or circumstances we find ourselves. And living righteously is living with a, within a pure heart which is committed to following, discerning God's, yeah, God's will, but his, following his precepts, his commands, his directions, his directives, <clears throat> which can be found and easily understood in Scripture. Not easily applied, but easily found and understood. And this race, living life righteously, requires endurance because life just takes time and it will always have cares and concerns and burdens to deal with. Some not so severe, some not so severe and seeming severe, some severe, like, like really severe. So, Hebrews 11, the Hall of Faith, the enumeration of the cloud of witnesses, exists as an encouraging proof text. So let's go to the definition of faith itself. It has a definition, which means it is a concrete, knowable, understandable, relatable, reasonable idea. Because we can actually define it. And that's where the beginning of Hebrews 11 comes in. It defines faith as the assurance of things hoped for. Well, what are things that are hoped for? It is a state or situation not currently in existence, but which we are confident will be. And the assurance of things hoped for is this confidence which rests upon the foundation, another way to translate the Greek word for assurance, of faith. And what is faith? Trust. Faith comes into English through French, from the same Latin root where we get confident, confide, confidant, confidence. It means trust. And sound trust is reasonable. If the argument about Christ from earlier in the letter is true, then trust in it is grounds for the hope of full eternal life promised by God. That state which is not yet, but we are confident will be the thing hoped for. And we all know what it's like to hope for an eventual reality because we have trust in the will and ability of someone else to actually make it so. I hope that I will survive the turbulence in the airplane because I trust the pilot. But faith is also defined as the, con- the conviction of things not seen. What are things not seen? This isn't simply things that are invisible. But rather, again, not present to be verified. Faith, this trust as conviction, is the very proof or argument in favor of these things not seen. Argument or proof is another definition of the Greek word that we're translating as conviction. My argument that my friend will not reject me if I tell him this or that is that I trust him. And this trust is reasonable 
because of his reputation and or past experience with him. So do I do not see his reaction to whatever I may tell him? Or the way in which it will actually eventually strengthen our relationship. That is not what I currently, that is a thing unseen. My faith in him is the very argument for its eventual existence or potential existence because that faith is grounded in his reputation, verifiable, and my experience of him, also verifiable. And so, like I said, Hebrews 11 is a proof text of examples supporting the definition of faith, trust in God. And this is trust in God's character, and therefore how he will deal with and relate to us. Like I said, easier said than done, probably something from most preachers. But for those of you who are actually going through real crap, your circumstances or your situations, the thing I love about the gospel is that it actually rips everything else away and says, yes, this is hard. Yes, this is how you deal with it, with God. You ready? Let's go.